0: Pastor Xavier Reese talks about the rules of engagement necessary for spiritual warfare. You may not always
1: be in a battle, but you're always in a war zone. And when you're in a war zone, the soldier, you always keep your vest on and your helmet on and your gun loaded because it can become a battle zone any second. The enemy's out there. The origin of warfare is spiritual. Realize the origin is Satan and he wants to disrupt and
0: destroy. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. After the many years our military has been deployed in Iraq and Afghanistan, this generation is definitely no stranger to war. And in battle, our soldiers quickly learn that the best defense is an effective offense. Pastor Xavier says the same strategy goes for spiritual warfare. Today, he takes us back once more to the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians, as he shares the battle plan necessary for sure victory. Let's listen.
1: Paul now um, turns to give specific attention to the false teachers that had infiltrated the church of Corinth and were undermining the ministry of Paul by attacking his apostleship. Paul defended his ministry dealing with the Christian living in chapter 1 through 7. Then Paul defended his mission offering dealing with Christian giving in chapter 8 and 9. And Paul now defends his apostolic authority dealing with Christian discerning in chapter 10 through 13. Like the Corinthians, if each of us do not see with the eyes of the Spirit, we will be taken in by false teachers who corrupt the word of God. We must be vigilant. We must pay attention to God's word. Paul had been accused of coming um, to them with fleshly wisdom, as chapter 1, verse 12 says. Vacillating by his words in chapter uh, 1, verse 17 about his trip to Corinth, whether it was going to go through Macedonia and then afterwards. And they were saying, he just, he's fickle. Having no letters of commendation, chapter 3, verse 1. The real apostles in Jerusalem don't even back him up. Having no integrity, wrong motives in chapter five, verse eleven. Interested in money and gain, chapter eight, twenty. He doesn't take money from you if his offering is really for him. Being authoritative at a distance. But in letters he's really timid and fearful. Chapter 10, verse 10. His apostleship is not genuine. He's a false apostle. Chapter 11, verse 5. These are just some of the things. And if you've been around, you know how people can just lie and spread false rumors and everything else. Out of envy, strife, whatever it may be. People are people. And if you're a Christian, you must realize that you are born into warfare. You have no option on this. And you're slandered and everything else. People say, well, what gives you the authority to tell me what's right and wrong? Are you more righteous than me? And so on and so forth. Those are the attacks. They're really attack against the authority of God's word, not you. So you have to get over yourself. Okay? Not about you. Very important. Now... This was a constant occurrence to the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, as he was opposed by the religious rulers to this day, envy and jealousy. Um, they denied his authority and said he was a false messiah. Really wasn't genuine. Now, if they did that to Jesus, then we shouldn't be worried or concerned that they do it to us. There are many clear warnings in Scripture about those who do not, uh, not only corrupt the word of God, but uh, they desire to lord over the people of God. Uh, Matthew 13, we have the parable of the sower that speaks about the wheat and the tares, about the leaven and the meal, about the birds that lodge in those big buzzers in the trees. The majority of the epistles are polemic. They fight heresy, wrong teaching. They're warning the believer about deception. If the believer cannot be deceived, why write the letters? The epistle of Jude describes them as spots, clouds without water, trees without fruit, wandering stars. 2 Peter tells us they are in the church and they will have many followers through deceptive words and twisting the scripture. So the greater enemy is within, not outside. So when infiltration comes in, that's the greatest danger. Jesus gave a stern warning to all those who would stumble little children regarding their faith in Matthew 18. Seven, He says, woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to the man by whom the offenses come. And in the verse previous to that, it said, now you, it's better if you tie a stone around your neck and be cast in the sea. Now, that's Jesus. Because you don't say, well, he's not very loving. When you stumble, you distort, you twist, you try to deceive people from God's word, there is great judgment by God. The Apostle Paul now turns them to direct his attention to the false teachers indirectly as he addresses himself directly to the Corinthians. And so, here in chapter 10, verse 1 through 6, the Apostle declared his apostolic authority for spiritual warfare, and it's characterized by three things. Let me read. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ who impresses am lowly among you, but being absent and bold towards you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with the confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walk according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. And so Paul declares the apostolic authority here for spiritual warfare characterized by the following. First, you have the plead regarding the warfare, verse 1 and 2, the plead. Then in verse 3 through 5, you have the perspective regarding the weapons of warfare. And then in verse 6, you have the practice regarding order after the warfare. Notice verse 1. The apostle Paul uses authority for after the example of his master, Jesus Christ. That's always a good start. Don't miss it. (laughs) I mean, this is hot stuff here. And, And if you've been in confrontation, it's hot to keep cool, right? Very hard. Because we want to lash out. Paul pleaded with the Corinthians in view of the deception of the Judaizers. Listen to his words. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you. The person of Paul is emphatic there. Myself, I, Paul. He's the one that's pleading with them. The apostolic authority here again is present. He presents himself pleading. But as a father, though he's still a shepherd, and the king to come alongside the reason is he's interested in their good. Notice Paul pleaded with them by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ here. Now the word meek has the idea of humility, the inward virtue of the new man in Christ. If you hyphenate the word, it speaks for itself. Me, ek. Okay? That's opposed to our pride that we think we're great. <laughs> The word indicates power under control. Not that you don't have the power to deal with issues the way everybody else. It's that you're submissive to Christ so that you deal with it it with the spiritual weapons. The word gentleness means mildness or suitability. The outward expression of the inner virtue and character. So what you see on the outside is really what's going on on the inside opposed to the world where you act on the outside putting a mask on but the inside there's Fallacy. No, genuineness. The visible conduct is a reflection of the new nature. Now notice the twofold virtue was evidence of life of Christ in Paul. Completely. Jesus said, I am meek and lowly in Matthew eleven twenty eight. The Sermon on the Mount, 5-5 in Matthew. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. This comes only by walking with him. This comes only through the new birth. This is not a natural attribute. And then notice Paul related these uh, virtues to his present relationship with the Corinthians, uh, who impressing them lowly among you, but being absent, I am bold towards you. The apostle stated that in present he was lowly among them when he was with them. The first, the second time, he's ready to come the third time. The word lowly there again means low to the ground, referring to low degree of humility, kind of, uh, as before, uh, opposite to pride. Lowly here is a compliment to meekness. So as he uses different Greek words, he's emphasizing all this over and over again to demonstrate the manner in which he is confronting them. The apostle noted stated that in absence, then he was bold towards them to confront the currencies in their sin. You see, it's always difficult when someone's real close to us. We don't want to confront. We cower. A complete stranger? Oh, I'm all over you. Like, why not right? But now you got to confront your husband, your wife? Wow. Notice the false teachers took the conduct of Paul towards the Corinthians in meekness and gentleness and used it against him. They accused him of acting in a false way. In physical presence with no confident authority. He was really humble, but they were saying, "Ah, he's just just not sure of himself. He's not really an apostle. They accused him of being bold and confident in his authority when he's absent from them, writing to them. And all he wants to do is rule over you. And it's amazing how someone can want to do so much good for you because they love you, and someone who's envious or jealous or wants to go between can twist these things and poison your mind. We're very aware of the human nature. It is bad to the bone. This would portray the conduct of Paul as a coward, not a confident apostle of Jesus Christ in the gospel. Look at verse 2. The apostle Paul did not want to use his authority to confront the Corinthians the way he was going to confront the false apostles. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence. And he'll move on to say, which he will exercise towards the false teachers. Notice the plea of Paul, again, was due to the fact that he loved them. And it would pain him much to deal with them that way, even as it had in the writing of the first letter of 1 Corinthians, he mentioned again chapter 2, verse 3, through 4, with many tears. He doesn't want to come with a rod. In fact, he asked them that in the first, the first epistle. You want me to come with a rod or love? You tell me. The word beg has the idea of supplication to those he loves, rather than compelling them. What father and mother doesn't want to plead and, and deal with his son or daughter in a way that they would see a response of their own free will rather than compelling them. The compelling is really the last option or resort. And we have to be ready to do that if need be. That's not the first. But it certainly must be a last option when it's needed. The word confidence, again, reinforcing all of this, means reliable assurance by the commission, ministry, authority that was given them by Jesus. Paul was an apostle of the Gentile. Paul was commissioned directly by Jesus Christ. Paul was discipled by Jesus for three years in the desert of Arabia. Paul was called out. Paul was sent out. The word bold again means to be of good courage and confidence in apostolic authority to confront and to discipline as in verse 1. Same word. And then notice Paul stated he planned to exercise his apostolic authority Towards some before the whole congregation you see when Paul dealt with issues he dealt with the church it wasn't some isolated thing unless it was something different but for the most part the letters were written to the church they were written out loud to the churches all this stuff the problem is a church problem he says by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh the reference to some is to those Judaizers who oppose Paul at Corinth. Meekness is a manifestation of the fruit of the spirit, Agape love, that each of us as Christians can manifest Galatians 5:23. But again, it's always a choice whether I do it. There's always that provocation to have me deal with things in the flesh, with my own ability, my own experience or whatever it may be. That's just natural. I have to be careful. Meekness does not mean that we never confront either, but that we confront in the right attitude to restore in the spirit of meekness in the way that we would like to be confronted, Galatians 6.1. So I have to think of that all the time. The believer is to be known for a meek and gentle spirit, and this is throughout Scripture. Let me give you some. Ephesians 4:2, the believer is begged to walk in meekness. Colossians 3:12, we're told to put on, as the elect of God, meekness, just like you put a coat on. We are to instruct in meekness those who oppose themselves in 2 Timothy 2:25. We are to show meekness unto all men, Titus 3:2. This is the virtue of the believer. The non-believer cannot manifest this. And so this was Paul's plea regarding the warfare. He moves on to the perspective regarding the weapons of warfare in verse 3 through 5. Notice in verse 3, the apostle Paul pointed out the distinction between living in the flesh and warring according to the flesh. Very important. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Paul did not deny his humanness or humanity as well as the others who minister with him by the phrase, for though we walk in the flesh. You and I, we are human as we were before we were born again, except we have a divine nature, but we still have the old man. We still have the old sin nature. Each of them possessed a physical body of flesh and blood like you and I. Each of them had a sin nature capable of manifesting itself through the human body as you and I do still. And each of them hungered, tired, aged, and ultimately died physically as you and I do and will if the Lord tarries. Paul said that even though he was as human as any other person, he and the others with him did not war according to the flesh. This is the accusation. The military metaphor is a favorite one of Paul, as you know. The entire armor of God is given to us in Ephesians six ten through 17. It only covers your front, not your back, so don't run. And if your husband and wife get back to back, because you've got a couple of enemies in the home, your children, the enemy within is the most dangerous. They will try to divide you. They will play you moms like a yo-yo. yo yo Dads, you need to be the head. Your children are looking for consistency, compassion, direction, stability. In other words, even though they were human as any other person, they were not depending on nor resorting to their sinful nature or natural ability to combat the spiritual opposition at Corinth or any other place. They always dealt with it with spiritual weapons. Always. The word war there means to make a military expedition and lead soldiers into war. There always being a potential for insubordination from within the ranks, as well as infiltration from without the ranks. Both cases are happening here in Corinth. In so many words, Paul distinguished himself and those who had worked with him at Corinth from the Judaizers. What they were accusing Paul and his ministers of doing, they were doing in reality. Paul and his fellow workers were apostles of Jesus Christ and the church, as he said in chapter 1, verse 1. The Judaizers were false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into angels and false apostles of light. In chapter 11, verse 13. These false apostles were preaching a different Jesus. That's a pretty heavy charge in chapter 11, verse 4. These were Jews. Paul says they're preaching another Jesus. That's what's going on in the church today. Francis Schaeffer, at the beginning of the 70s, wrote his books and said, There comes a time now when we must ask in America, What God are you talking about when you're saying God? Let me say to you that's come a time in the church in America when you have to ask your pastor, "What Jesus are you talking about? The one in the Bible or the one of the emergent church of the seeker friendly or what?" In effect, Paul denied the accusations that he was ineffective in his ministry. He's victorious, successful, he's efficient. Why? Because he doesn't use weapons of carnality. Spiritual weapons. Look at four. The Apostle Paul pointed out the identity of his weapons of warfare. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God. Paul's weapons are not carnal. Here's the negative. The word warfare again, an expedition, a campaign, a military of military service here. Paul likened his contentions and difficulties that opposed him at Corinth as warfare. To be dealt with as part of his duty of his apostolic commission to contend for the faith. Listen, you are always in a war zone. You may not always be in a battle, but you're always in a war zone. And when you're in a war zone, the soldier, you always keep your vest on and your helmet on and your gun loaded. Because it can become a battle zone any second. The enemy's out there. The origin of warfare is spiritual, though it will manifest itself physically. You must be careful. When things start happening in your home or with your marriage, and this and that, and you say, "Oh, it's just you no. Know, that doesn't mean you don't confront each other. Doesn't mean you don't hold each other accountable. But realize the origin. The origin is hell and Satan, and he wants to disrupt and destroy your home, your relationship. And if you both don't agree and see that, you'll be all over each other's throats. The word carnal is sarkikos. It means dominated by the natural, sinful nature of man. sarx is flesh. Any word that ends in an ikos is controlled by whatever the word is. Controlled by the flesh. Now, he told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 and 3, you were, he couldn't speak to them as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, though they were babes in Christ. Okay? They were still functioning in the flesh, dependent on their flesh. Paul already told them again in chapter 1, verse 12, um, earlier, that they did not conduct themselves according to worldly fleshly um, uh, wisdom, but by the grace of God. So from the beginning he denies it. Here again, he's dealing with it. And then notice Paul's weapons are mighty in God. Here's the positive. The weapons are effective due to the fact that the war campaign is God's. And he provides the weapons to equip his soldiers. The warfare is not ours. We're just in it. The Old Testament has a phrase, the Lord of hosts, which means the captain of the armies of heaven. He's the one that fights. Remember, Uzziah worshiped the Lord and defeated the armies just through the worship of God? (laughs) The battles is the Lord. He's the one that defeats our enemy. The Lord causing them to triumph always as he let them, as he said in chapter 2, verse 14. Their efficiency is in God, chapter 3, verse 5. They do not lose heart because they're looking and trusting God, not looking at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen in chapter 4, verse 1 and 16. Treasure in this earthen vessel is placed there that the excellence and the power may be of God, not of ourselves. In chapter 4, verse 7. Paul will tell him that God's strength is made perfect, and weakness in chapter 12, verse 9. The weapons are spiritual to accompany the spiritual warfare. And he says, Mighty. It means powerful to accomplish that victory. The divine weapons are accompanied with the divine power of God. Losing is no option here. Victory is is a proclamation here.
0: Pastor Xavier Reese with straight talk regarding spiritual warfare within the church. And you can find this program online to hear any portion you may have missed. Just browse for today's date in the radio listings link at CalvaryChapelPasadena.com And you can request a personal copy of today's important study from 2 Corinthians as well. It's titled, The Believer and Warfare. And we have CD copies available for just $4. And this is one message you'll want to pass along to your friends and loved ones when you're through. Now, the title to ask for once again is, The Believer and Warfare. Or simply mention today's date when you write, Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 9-1-1-0-7. Or to make your request by phone, call 800 926 1485. Again, that's 800 926 1485. Or the address, once again, is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's helpful when you include the call letters of this station when you contact us. Do you want to be a success in your faith? Then you have to learn how to fight. Find out more when you tune in to the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com